Well, good afternoon, good morning, or wherever you are listening to the uh, the one, the only, the infamous podcast known as Dirtbags. I'm your host, Josh Curran, along with my co-host, Danny Curran, DC. What's going on, mate? Oh, mate. Infamous? I'm not sure about infamous. I, I would like to think uh, highly regarded. You know, we bring quality content of a super high... Oh, no, I'm lying to myself. There's no high level in this. Just a couple of young fellas having a great time. And talking about having a great time, we're here with Ben Dobinson. And I'm not even going to do a big lead in here, mate, because Dobinson has such a huge... Uh, I'm talking Dobinson spring and suspension has such a huge history, mate. We've got you on the channel because we want to hear some of this amazing backstory about... Listen, a, a generational hardworking family that have come, a, like, I hope you're happy with me saying this, a long way. Like, I remember when you guys were in the back shed of a, a house in Rocky, and now you've got a multinational level company. It's just, it's crazy and impressive. Thanks, guys. Uh, well, I've got to say, I'm sitting amongst bloody off-road royalty here. Look at, like, you two guys. I don't know about that. Don't I won't blow too much more than that. <laughs> no, thanks. Uh, yeah, it's... But it's great to be on here, and um, yeah, the Dobinson. Uh, we know we're just a, a family business, three generations. I've got a, another generation coming through now. A couple of young boy, and young girl, and um, me, me brothers have some some kids and me cousins as well. So, awesome. yeah, it's uh, it's a pretty interesting story, really. It's just a, a good Aussie success story. Um, my granddad Reg Dobinson, so he started the business uh, nineteen fifty three, but he was born here in Rocky, so nineteen twenty nine. Um, He's born here, uh, and yeah, basically his mum died at seven. His dad died at seventeen, so he wow. sort of did a lot. It's crazy; like he didn't have a lot of leadership, and he sort of just what he's done without you know the guidance there is unreal. So, um, and he was kind of just one of them guys that was just born a I don't know, just a hard worker and had the gift of the gab and and a bit of a savage too. Like he. he his work ethic from you know from a young age was unreal. Like in the in the Second World War, so you're talking when he was probably thirteen or fourteen or something. Um, the you know the the Japs and that are coming sort of down this way, and and the air raid sirens would go off, and he was you know getting concerned, 13, 14 year old. So he thought stuff, and I'm going to go down the backyard. I'm going to dig my own bomb shelter. So this is right here in Rocky. Goes down, digs a pitch pretty big, and um, and it's taken him weeks. And and all the neighbours are over there going, "Oh, what are you doing? You feel you're an idiot." You're wasting your time, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, oh, no, I'll keep doing it. So anyway, he just keeps digging it, cuts an old wall, take it half, throws it over the top, and sure enough, a few weeks later, air raid siren goes off. Goes in, his little sister bundles her up. She was pretty crook and runs down to the bomb shelter and guess he's there. All the neighbours, it's full. Yeah, and look, yeah everyone that was ragging him out and saying he was silly yeah. for building it, yep. And, and here he is in there. So, like, that's, you know, at 13 or 14 years old, so sort of. Couldn't imagine myself doing that as a as a kid, little like kids these uh, days, and that sort of thing. So yeah, but uh, no. So then he sort of went on to work at the railway as a blacksmith. So um, he was just just a hard worker and, and and just really good at it. Like the particular part with blacksmithing and and spring making is is the heat treatment. So um, that's that's really where he excelled. So he's. Uh, good eye for, for heat treatment. So, like, when you're talking for the steel that we get, the high-carbon steel for springs, um, they've got to be hardened 850 degrees and into some quenching oils. So before we had electronically controlled furnaces, they'd tell you the temperatures and all that sort of thing. He, he could sort of um, – he could tell it by eye, basically. Um, he had enough eye to get the right temperature range that we want to 
you want to be quenching that around that 850 degrees. So a good eye for that cherry red. And then he would just know that the tempering after that. So the tempering of the steel around that 470 degrees, he get a piece of hickory timber, like your hammer handles and that. Um, and basically if you cut that down uh, and just sort of put a little point on the end and you run it along a piece of steel at 470 degrees, it'll sparkle. Um, and you get like this little trail of sparkles behind it. Um, any hotter than that, it kind of starts to get a flame. That means you've gone over 470 and, and sort of 20 degrees cooler than that and you won't get that sparkle. So that's amazing. It's incredible, isn't it? It's like the yeah. old school things. And this is what I was taught when I was a, you know, a kid and when I'd done my apprenticeship as a blacksmith. Um, yeah, they, all these little, I guess, old school techniques that, the, you know, that he would have and, and picked up along the way. Um, and yeah, he was just, that's just where he was really good at and he had a good eye for it. So that's kind of how every good success story starts in a business. Someone gets really good at a particular aspect of their job or what they're doing and, and he was no different. So come come the weekends and in, in the you know, late 40s, early 50s, like all good Aussies, they're knocking out weekenders for their mates and, and doing all that stuff. So if the IRS is listening or, or the tax office, no cashies. No cashies. All Absolutely. But yeah, so um, that's basically how it started. So 1953, um, he started off, it was actually Dobinson's Welding Works back in those days and he was just doing welding repair jobs. So. Um, he actually had bought the first um, electric welder in Rocky. So it was, uh, we still now actually that these massive big blue blue boxes, we still use them. They're still good. You sort of go along and pull out all these knobs to, to total up the amps that you want to use for these old stick welders. But, you know, he, he loved tech, loved the latest and greatest gear. And, um, yeah, so he yeah, went and got, I guess, the yeah, first electric welder in Rocky, and that's sort of how he kicked off. So at the back of his house in Murray Street, had a bit of a shed there, and um, and then just got into it. And 18 hours a day, every day, yeah, he'd take Christmas morning off, but that was it. He'd just, just slug it out 18 hours a day, sleep every night, and just, yeah, didn't care. So savage. That, yeah, that's unreal because I suppose that's an excellent point because – Maybe for some people in the four-wheel drive scene, they might think that Dobinson's a recently formed company or something like that. But again, 1953, three generations yep. going on to the fourth. Yep. That's an yep. amazing story. Yeah, it's funny because a lot of people think overnight success because they see the see the top of the, the iceberg, don't they? But, you know, it's had all that those years and years of, of underlying and all that skill set. That's impressive. Exactly. And that's, I mean, just for a company – in this age to, to get to, you know, 70 odd years where we're at now to be going that long is impressive in itself. Like most, and particularly to get through the three generations and we're still growing, we're still doing yes. well. Um, it's sort of, it's, it's, it's a success story, particularly in manufacturing in, in Australia. Like it's mm -hmm. many of these stories left. So it's, um, you know, there was oh, two or 300 spring makers and, and repairers in Australia. And now there'd be, maybe four of us or something, four or five of us left. So it's sort of a dying art, a dying industry, and the blacksmithing side of that is the same. So, um, but, yeah, that's sort of basically how we got started. And then um, so we'd just be doing welding jobs and he'd be repairing stuff, welding up, making clotheslines and just sort of that that sort of thing. And then was still with these heat treatment side of things, we started to do a fair bit of spring repair. So we just have a fire literally in the backyard um anvil and a hammer and that was how he was sort of doing spring repair and he he'd be resetting springs and you know fixing up eyes on leaf springs and just doing all those sorts of um 
little repair jobs through the 50s and 60s. So, um, yeah, there at uh, Murray Street, so just down from the railway. And, yeah, it was uh, humble beginnings, but it's, yeah, yeah it's sort of dedication and hard work. So, um, yeah, sort of unreal. And then I guess... Mm. I was just going to say, so then from, from the Murray Street, you went straight in yeah. the 90s to your where you are now, which is a beautiful big factory. Yeah, probably a little bit in between that. So probably in the uh, probably in the 60s or 70s, we, where we were on Murray Street, he had this, this sort of shed behind the back. And then like businesses do, you buy the shed next door, which was um, it was actually an old like a warshed storage depot. So they store ammunition and stuff. Um, next door there so um, yeah he bought that and then um, 1974 uh, dad joined so Glenn he's, he's my dad um, he joined the company at 14 so basically sort of done after grade nine in school and like like most boys at that age had had enough and um, he jumped in on it and then two years later uh, Michael Keith joined the business as well so um, just having that extra set of hands couple sets of hands around the place so mm. And the same thing and just started out blacksmithing spring repair um and then started going into making leaves and leaf springs and, and those sorts of things so um yeah it's pretty impressive and like in about 1977 uh granddad went down to the the basically the the record yard for war planes ripped out the, all the hydraulics out of them uh and took it back and made like a leaf spring eye roller to roll the the eye on the leaf spring where your, where your bushes go in so he made all that, designed it himself um, because the ones at the time that you could buy were basically this massive big machine and to change a die over to go from say an inch eye to a two inch eye. Um, and if you were doing, you know, an old Jeep or something that's got a two inch eye on one end and a one inch or inch and quarter on the other end, you, it was like 45 minutes to change over the tooling. So he built this custom made eye roller um, went and got it patented and all that sort of stuff. Um, it, was, it was pretty impressive for his day on his own again without basically any guidance um, and he's built this eye roller that was quick change over time um, and you can still we still use it to this day and you go down there and it literally just looks like the cockpit of a war plane it's got all the five joysticks across it with hydraulics forwards and backwards and then basically like a dash with all the gauges on it so That's it so is cool it is a wild bit of gear and, and it still works well it's it, like all the stuff that, that he built like most of our machinery was built in-house so all the stuff he built is still you know they're still working and a lot of it's seen upgrades and modernized and then we've got a lot of new equipment as well but sort of a lot of the old stuff we keep around and, and it's a bit like the old the old welders we had so we sort of kept them around as well a little bit of um i don't know we don't use them much but it's a good bit of history and uh, have something there you sort of these yeah. things to, to have these yeah, things well, it's probably one of those things that once you let that piece of equipment go like you're never going to get it mm. back like let alone that model but you're never going to get back the original one that started Dobinson's spring and suspension really like so that's that's an awesome piece of history and, and hold on to that my friend don't ever let that bad boy go exactly so and he was just he loved like he loved tech and he, he loved recreation as well so in just the early 70s he bought a computer which again was the first computer in rocky so he bought it and forget what the uni was called at the time but basically the central queensland university they brought all their professors and, and everyone down to have a look at this computer because, you know, he's got the first one here and it was basically just for invoicing and splitting up labour and parts, but he was always thinking about efficiencies, accuracies, yep. quality, always had that in mind. So, I mean, to get a computer these 
big old box looking things just to do that basic sort of stuff for job cards in the 70s when like like people weren't even writing invoices they were just sort of telling up in their head and going oh yeah get to the end of the year this is about what we've done so pretty meticulous with that and, and meticulous with recording specs so probably the, one of the biggest reasons uh what Dobinson's has got so big is we have specs for everything like we've got lease screen specs for basically everything ever made like the books are mountains mountains of books and granddad's old handwritten specs there we still got them there for old everything so um when it comes to it we still do really really old like original jeep stuff all really old willy stuff old army stuff we do it from time to time it's not fun but uh yeah we still play so, around with a few of those things so you're telling me if i needed a leaf spring toe pack for an, a 1953 anglia i could get it sorted out that's what you're telling me <laughs> mate you could you could we could do it so unbelievable it, that's um, cool it is so yeah it's uh we sort of keep all that sort of all the specs and that information is is it's it's critical holding on to the specs and info so probably yeah, going from there in the the 80s then i guess um yeah dad started uh exporting he was sort of moving into sales and in sort of the early to mid 80s and um my auntie worked up at new guinea at the time and a lot of mining up there, a lot of Toyotas up there, a lot of old 75s and 60s and all those sorts of things playing around. So they were bloody hard on the gear up there. So that's mm. sort of where we really started going into the business really picked up is when the, the land crews and the early generation patrols started taking off. That's really when they were getting used for work vehicles and heavy vehicles. And that's when the spring repair, the spring resets, making replacement springs, making raised springs. Um, and then doing the year bolts and, and that shackles and that sort of thing for them. That's where that sort of really took off. And and even like a lot of the, the patrols and that that came out, the, I think it was the MKs, um, we were doing heaps of them, 75, 60s. And then even when the GQs come out in 88, the first of them, they were sort of all lopsided from the factory. So we were doing resetting them springs. And um, before we started making them in the, in the 90s, we were doing hundreds of them and they you know, they'd be dropping over. And same with some of the leaf springs that were lopsided as well. DC motors would drop over, like, you know, a pallet of springs where you rip out of cars from brand new, reset them, throw them back in, send them off the factory, all, all ready and all happy. So, um, yeah, that's kind of really in the 80s when the business started growing. Dad started exporting to New Guinea and then into the South Pacific, which it wasn't an easy feat in those days. I mean, you don't just get on Google and, and Google, oh, you know. No sellers or spring shops or or four by four shops in new guinea you've got to go down to the post office buy a phone book for the south pacific which is like this massive big thing take it home flick through it cold calling mm. um basically how it was done in the 80s and, and 90s before the internet was uh you couldn't just readily access the info like we do so yeah it's uh it was a different day and um yeah but then sort of 1991 uh we moved over to hollingsworth street where we are now so um that basically we bought uh it was mcintyre's hardware at the time so um went and bought that and granddad at the time I was like geez this like this is too big this place we don't need it but it was an auction we got it for a good price let's just use you know a third of it and, and that'll do so um that third lasted about sort of a year and then we filled the shop within a few years and then now we're like I don't know, 10,000, 12,000 square meters of shed or something like that. It's mm. um, crazy. So, yeah, because that's yeah. the interesting thing about that shop, isn't it? It's not just the shop front. Like, you've got all that storage area around the back and the yard and yep. everything. 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and now we're across a few blocks there. So then we've got the block next door to that where Rex Hell is now in the front. We've got the whole back ex- uh, section of that, another acre there. Then we've got the one next door, another acre there. And then um, they're basically, we're, we need more really, but we're at the stage now where the neighbours unfortunately won't, won't sell. And, uh, <laughs> can't keep moving. <laughs> can't keep moving. So moving is just off the cards. But um, yeah. yeah, so but basically, yeah, the early 90s, we... Um, sort of started going into the core spring manufacturing mid-90s. So bought an old uh, spring winder from, hot core spring winder from Munro's. Um, and it was like an old gear-driven one. So again, if you want to change your part number, it was like pull the mandrel out, pull all the gears off, put all the right gear ratios on so that when it winds out, it puts the right gap between the coils. Um, and then you've got to tweak the ends manually and all that sort of stuff. So Dad and my Uncle Keith got that machine and they actually – to tore it down and um, put a PLC in it and, and switched it to a, a PLC machine, which, you know, seems like nothing now, but to have a programmable computer-driven machine in, like, the mid-90s is, is oh, nuts. Absolutely unbelievable. That was cutting edge. It, it was, yeah, and, and they built the rest of the production line with it. So, like, all the furnaces, the heat treatment furnaces are all built, all the cranking tanks, um, oil troughs, powder cane boost, cracking machines, spring and grinders, all the stuff that we've got, like, they just all built that from the start. So it, um, the knowledge, their expertise is incredible. They know about getting the furnaces set up right, getting them set up in zones because everything's expanding and contracting, getting around that issue, getting the, the ceramic fibre insulation to take a 1,000 degrees or 850 degrees around that. So, uh, I mean, that side of things is is sort of crazy in itself that they can do all this production line and then we've, as we come along now, it's myself, two brothers and, and two cousins, and, and we're the same. We're building new machines. We're designing new machines. And, and always on that side, trying to be better quality, more efficiency, um, because yep. if you don't, you'll go the way of the other 200 spring makers who are still using, you know, hammers, anvils and, and coal forge, forges up until <laughs> 10 years ago and wondering why you can't compete. So it's, it's a lot yes. of re- a lot of... Um, work to, to keep the keep the ball rolling basically so that's amazing absolutely so because so just so i'm real clear because you now like again we've talked about you sending everywhere you spread springs everywhere and parts and all sorts of stuff does that all yeah. come out of the rocky factory everything um we don't do everything out of rocky so we do all of our coils we do a fair chunk of our leaf springs out of rocky yep. uh do a fair chunk of our u-bolts out of rocky and then the other stuff we just get subcontracted we just we don't have the room, we don't have the capacity so yeah um, to be able to compete so we still basically um for our other stuff we'll subcontract them but we will set up the production lines in in other parts of the world ourselves we'll fly over we'll set them up we'll design the production lines we'll do lay out everything we want specs we'll source suppliers we'll specify our requirements for suppliers so that everything's basically getting made to what we do but we just can't have yeah. another <laughs> too difficult no, to have another and all that sort of thing so yeah so, sorry i probably should have clarified that question too because are oh, you guys that yeah, does yeah. lead us to the next thing you do so much stuff now other than just spring and suspension like you do compressors and lights and recovery yeah, but, yeah. but but essentially to go back to the original question but all your spring and suspension stuff uh, the vast majority comes out of central yeah. queensland still amazing. doing it out of rocky so i mean a regional town of you know it would be hundred thousand people now yeah. um and still kicking goals and, and still pushing it and and in some respects, it's kind of, uh, it's a bit of a challenge being in a small town, but in some respects, it's a bit of a blessing because sometimes you're not seen as a, a competitor or a threat, so you can kind of fly under the radar a little bit. Yeah. 
and poke along quietly without, you know, upsetting too many of the big players. Um, but, yeah, like, we're sort of always innovating. Like, I came along in 2000 and uh, through 2003. I started as a blacksmith apprentice, basically the last one ever. Um, granddad pretty much taught me everything I know. He would come down because he had a, sh- a flat there at the shop. So he'd live there a few days a week and he'd be at his beach house, but he'd sort of still come in and he'd still be giving me the tips. So his, his knowledge and the, um, I guess, the the tools and, and the secrets and the trade secrets that he's passed down through the generations is, is stuff when you're designing product that you can't learn unless you've had 70 years of failures and breakages mm-hmm. and learning like an old engine builder they you know you get an old guy he knows his stuff and and he's seen every failure and every little aspect and then you can really understand why these things are done the way that they're done so um yeah it's um yeah it's crazy and then you know, as the time went on, we, we started doing our um, shocks and all the other stuff and then went into, um, yeah, like the, the, which has been a huge part is the um, remote res shocks, the monotube shocks and the hydro bump stops. That's really where the growth um, for us because, I mean, you guys probably remember when you were young but um, and when I was 17 and that it was sort of Commodores and Falcons and loud cars and and. Yep before the p-plate rules come in and, and you go lapping on a thursday night and, and that sort of thing but uh time goes on and mm. people come in no one can have v8s people still want to have fun and then the four-wheel drive scene essentially started around that sort of mid 2000s particularly uh when the highlights come out in that 2005 the, the later one that was not a complete truck to ride in and a half day family car and then it's basically gone on to be the biggest seller ever since so yeah uh, yeah, it's crazy. And then the last for us, we've gone into the, yeah, the remote red shocks, which have been incredible. Um, good learning curve. But just, I love, that's what I really love is getting into that nitty gritty shock design, shock tuning, all, all suspension design, all that sort of stuff. And then, um, yeah, for four years ago, we got a, a cold winder. So um, basically, we're the first ones in Australia uh, to get a, a cold winder of, of that size. There's some small ones around that do, you know, small springs up to five mil wire. But seeing what the sort of the production we needed, um, the quality we needed and what we needed because we were starting to do some more race springs, coilovers. So for the guys that are racing the off-road stuff, a lot of them are just specifying cold wound springs now. So um, what you can achieve with that, the quality you can achieve, the quality of the wire that you get from the factory, we can't actually get it in Australia. We've got to get it out of Korea. But the quality of that wire that you can get is is incredible. Um, the consistency um, this, the fatigue life and that sort of thing. So moving into that cold winding a couple of years ago, um, yeah, basically four times our production. Um, and we thought, you know, oh, this is going to be great. We'll be fine for 10 years. And two or three years later, we are going, mm, it's probably nearly time for another one. So it's um, wow. incredible. Yes, absolutely. So you're talking about the engineering and background there because, I, yeah, I wanted to touch on your shock absorbers because they're, they're a great product and they're doing great in the market from what I see. I, I'm an outsider. Yeah. You know the books. Yeah. But, like, so were they engineered inside, like, in-house or was that you work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No we, 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 no, no, we don't everything. We do the lot. So we actually got a good shock engineer. Um, he was out of Laos, um, Connie. He, he started with us down in Sydney and um, – and basically at our Sydney branch there, we were doing some early stages back in sort of 2013 or 12 or something like that. We started tinkering with monotubes and remote resis and going, playing with them. And we were all, you know, we're all full drive heads as it is. So we started putting a few on our poles and tuning them and going, there's, there's something in this. Like these these guys from King of Fox, they know what they're doing. Like they're, yep. they're under something. Yeah. So we 
stack of time into them and then we released the original uh, remote red shocks in 2015 2016 um really good but sort of to get them where we wanted to we were just revalving them all the time and shimming them all the time and, and you, to do it at the scale where we're doing it at with uh, exporting to 75 countries it is a mission so mm. 2015 after you know in a year or two after we released them i was sort of thinking to myself we need to get these things adjustable compression rebound high speed low speed um we've got to get into that that higher end market to be able to you know give the guy that's got a, a you know a gq took a gq patrol or a gu that like my gq is two ton neat like it is a lot you go up to three and a half ton or something like that there's a huge range of damping there so yeah you know what accommodate that with one sort of shock damping is pretty tricky and really particularly more so with the the higher end remote red shocks because you're paying that money you wanted to ride men you don't want you don't want you know yep. some sort of compromise where if you're paying you know for the lower end product you're sort of happy enough to get a, a bit of a compromise so yep and even in that statement it what's crazy is that uh even the different people's driving styles within that like some guy might like a car Absolutely. that is quite harsh but then can take a big hit versus a guy that's exactly. turned up to the cape and he expects it to ride like a boat you know that's two exactly. very different shim stacks yeah so it's interesting because yeah it is tough in a market yeah. where you're trying to sell one product that does all exactly yeah and and to be able to deliver a service like i mean to be revalving every shock the lead times just start blowing out and just going through trying to get enough guys there rebuilding them so it was sort of just like we've got to put enough adjustment window into these things to basically everyone can set them up how they want to i like my stuff like a cadillac um but there's guys out there that like them firm and planted so everyone's different and um and yeah so yeah and then the last sort of yeah we just done the hydro bump stops about two or three years ago and then we're sort of taking that those race products and really trying to make them fit into oem vehicles without huge mods um you know you go start throwing in triples and and those sorts of things it's it's all custom fab so for Very. for our market um there's a market for that but it's 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 a small volume um it's not really sort of you know where we want to be we want to be doing the volumes and the 95 percent of guys who are buying you know patrols cruisers highlights rangers all that sort of stuff and uh looking to throw something in and just get get yep. it so absolutely so when you're talking about the, these hydro bumps and uh, I know they're not a bolt-in proposition, but they're obviously running in the inside of the coils in the patrols. Is that the and it's a it's yeah. a semi? Yeah, yeah. Basically, so we also we provide a, a welding kit that we make it work there. So some laser cut plates, we we bend up some some tower braces and those sorts of things. So you basically get a welding kit. So it's just throw yeah. a hole saw, weld them up, and away you go. And then the rear kits for the patrols, you know, they're just a, a bolt-in kit basically with a bit of drilling. Then we just sort of go into the rear of the eighties. 100s 105s 200s prados rear hydro kits in the center of the course for those and front of 70 series and just those sorts of vehicles that we can adapt them easily enough without yep. you know some custom fab and and, and you know, yeah. heavy engineering every vehicle oh, so i think that's a brilliant product i didn't realize that you'd gone to that level with the bump stops and that because yeah. I, I mean there's some of those products that I think that once you've had them, you you struggle to go back to a kit that oh. doesn't have it. Like I don't think you realise how good custom tuned suspension is until you've got it. Absolutely, and, then, and yeah, for sure. But there's a few points in there, um, Ben, that I was interested in because the others. Are, I know I'm going back a couple of steps, but when you're talking yeah. about a one kit does all and the valving and the tuning, like that's yeah. an interesting one because I've had a lot of arguments i don't oh, we're really obviously as you know we're really good mates with the guys that run kings we're really good mates with the oh, guys that run we get along with them well they're bloody great yeah. and they good good like that and they know how to tune it through they're, they're good they're good guys 
Well, that's the key, though, because what blows me away is when a guy buys, a, say, a Foxy kit or whatever, and, you know, they get their two-and-a-half-inch remote-res smoothies, and they just bolt yeah. them in and then go, oh, but this doesn't ride any better than an OME or yeah. a Dobinson or, a, no. you know, whatever yeah. the brand. Yeah. And it won't. You, you, there won't. is a lot you of work. Yeah, 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 particularly with the mono tubes, the remote race, you've got to put the time in to get that that tuning right if, if it's not adjustable. Um, it's and you know, a lot of guys will come in and I'll be like, man, like it's a you got a good product, it's just not tuned right. And, and tuning's a black art too. Like, and like part of the reason we haven't gone right into the race stuff is that it's just I've got the knowledge, but I I pass it on to some guy, then he leaves and then he's training someone else, and it's yep. And it's an experience thing. It's it's an art. It's it's not just like a, a buy the book sort of thing. You've got to have experience and tuned a lot to know this is feel this. Okay, this is what this is doing. Um, so you know, and then you, you can spend huge amounts of time tuning stuff, and then to try and get it right for for little return. So we sort of had to put the time in on the dyno, then in the real world, back on the dyno, back in the real world, get the stuff from the factory with the adjustment, get it Mickey Mouse so that when you throw it in. It's how you want it. So brilliant. I love that. Uh, Cause I actually got a good story. It's a little off topic, but it's the same yeah. topic, but you'll love this one. I reckon. Cause it was a guy down, uh, down South. I won't mention any names or anything in case he's listening. A uh, good bloke, top bloke, but he bought a big set of Fox coilovers and bits and pieces and got her in his race truck. He said, Oh, I'm just not happy with it. It's no good. I'm like, Oh yeah, no worries. I started asking him a few questions. Like first question. Oh, like out of interest, like what nitrogen pressure you're running? It goes nitrogen pressure. What's that? They they got it out of out of America, put it straight in. Yeah. Didn't even realize they had to put nitrogen in it. Again, once you get into that race shock, there are a lot of work and a lot of time and Ooh, a lot yeah. of tuning. Yeah. So so yeah, there's no such thing. Oh, well, in my opinion, although you guys are doing a great job, and there is some companies that are doing a great job, but yeah, that that bolt in does everything is a very hard proposition. Particularly when you're talking in the race industry, off-road, you know, your trucks and buggies. Like you talk at the variables, you've got the tune, you've got your upper spring on your coilover, your lower spring on your coilover, the preload on your coilover, um, the crossover ring on your coilover that's you know changes when you go from acting on two springs to one spring. Yep. Then your coilover shim stacks, coilover bleed, uh, where you set your coilover in the ride height, and that's just that's just the coilover. Then you go to your triple or your, yep. your you know your shock or having tubes you got, then you got Yep. Shims, max bleed, five or seven or three tubes. Um, yep. and, well, you've yeah. got an inter- you can even get an internal bypass now. Internal Just bypasses. And, then, and you try to work all that together and get them right spring rates and, and the lengths and everything that, to work together as a package. With the vehicle geometry, which changes, you've got different amounts of anti-squat and dive roll centers. To make that whole package work is it's an art yeah. and the do it well, do it really well. Um, and, you know, it's just years of experience to get that sort of stuff right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I just want to jump in. I just want to jump in because, DC, I reckon I can top your story. I don't think you were there oh. this day. But we were, we were at a uh, – me and a good mate by the name of Dean English, we were at a, we were at a race one time. And uh, I saw old mate, he wanted to stiffen up his vehicle and he busted out his ARB compressor oh, and no. hooked it onto the Schroeder valve and put air in it. Yes. Nah, yeah. See, look, look at the reaction a, from the. She gets a little bit of reaction from the. Bit of pump yeah, look at the one. reaction from the suspension <laughs> guy. But, but uh, that, I, I think that plays into exactly what you're saying, though, Ben. Is that you've yeah. got to almost build a product that is completely foolproof for people because, you know, exactly. this this guy now might be out there saying, I think he had a set of Kings bump stops in it or something like that. He's yeah. probably talk, now going ragging them out, saying, you know, what a what a crap product. You know, it doesn't do what it's yeah. supposed to do. But this guy, yeah, yeah he. 
I think he put well, essentially ran it until the the stop on the um, ARB. So it had a hundred psi of air <laughs> inside it. Like I don't know, I was nervous, man. Like we actually, I, I didn't want to stand around this thing in case you know, like a, an air expands as it. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. We'll, we'll run through this for for the people listening yeah. at home that maybe don't understand shock yeah. absorbers too well. The reason that they use nitrogen is it's a gas that it doesn't matter how hot it gets, it doesn't really expand. So it at it's, it's at, less, yeah, it's less. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So at, at 30 degrees to a hundred degrees, the, the pressure doesn't really change. But obviously yeah, yeah. anyone that had a uh, a bike pump or an air compressor or anything like that, like as heat the air yep. expands. So man, we were nervous these things were gonna go off like a bomb after doing <laughs> after doing a lap. It was I think it was a short course event at Cruiser Mountain or something like that. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, old, old mate busted out his ARB and wanted to stiffen it up a bit. So he put a hundred PSI of air in his bump well, stops. He, uh, he definitely he definitely did something anyway. Yeah, yeah, he did something. <laughs> and, and the, the worst thing is what they don't realize is you're getting a bit of moisture in there with your compressor as well while you're doing Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yep. And the other thing is like 100 PSI in probably every shock out there is not enough. So you got to be cavitating. And you got your piston comes through, pulls a vacuum, then slams through a bit of aerated oil and then smacks into the oil on the other side. It's just, it's a disaster. And understanding that again and, and gas pressures, they, they don't make, they actually don't, unless you've got, as long as you've got enough, they don't make a difference in the shock. They don't change your damping, they don't change your ride aside from a little bit of stiction on the, on the, the piston shaft from the seals that the, the higher pressure creates, that gas pressure doesn't change anything. So yep. you basically enough to stop cavitation and that's it. So, but mm. yeah, you know what you're doing. It's fascinating, eh? It but anyway, is. this this leads us to another good thing because it, you've done yes. a lot of um, development and marketing and, and you know, with a lot of products, because we sort of were talking about that before. I wanted to question you, like now that you're in this space with camping gear and battery management, yep. you've got lights, you've got recovery gear, you guys do winch yep. and everything, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're sort of just going through now. We've done that for probably six or seven years now, bull bars, snorkels, winches, all that sort of stuff. So um, the accessory side of things. So still not a massive part of our business, but the last 12 months, two years, we've just gone and basically really put I've put on a couple more engineers, a couple more CAD guys, and we're just really redoing everything, just going through lights, become an expert at lights, what sort of lens reflector's got to be like, what sort of chips are the best, what sort of colour range of the chips are best, um, efficiencies, cooling, and same with winches, working on different design winches, um, solenoids, different solenoids, sealing them, how to sell them better, winches, gearboxes, and going through each product now. So um, we're at the yeah at the stage where sort of the next 12 months we'll be releasing a whole bunch more, uh, I guess, Gen 2 gear and the accessory side of things. So some exciting times ahead. Oh, well, and that, excellent, because now I want to know. I'm asking you lots of questions, aren't I? But what's, what's your favourite product up your lineup? If one thing that got you the most excited, and it can be suspension, it can be camping gear, it can be anything. What what You walk oh, in and you I go, don't. damn, that's cool. I probably haven't even released it yet. Uh, but uh, no, to be Ooh. honest, it, it's, 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 still in the, it's still in the suspension. Like the suspension, I don't know. You, you go from a, a car, you go, you take a... You know, you take up a trial and you throw in just a run-of-the-mill twin tube gas kit off the shelf, you know, regular kit that, you know, you would put in 20 years ago. And then you rip it out and then you throw in some remote resis or we're doing coilovers, so we're just we're, they're about to be released. Um, so we're doing two-and-a-half-inch freeway adjustable coilovers. They're about two months off now. So you go and throw the suspension in and you're like, oh, you know, how much better can it be? And you tune it and you get it right and you, you it. You yeah. can't, people can't believe it when that when they throw it in there they go shit I was you know thought yeah. I was on a thing already and this is night and day and that suspension and particularly the shocks and the shock tuning that's that's really what I love like if I could spend 
to spend all day doing something than to be all day just working on shocks and tuning because that is that's the most enjoyment, the most satisfaction, the, the best result from your time you put into the product, basically. That's awesome, mate. Yeah. No, I and I totally agree. I think it, what's crazy is that I don't think people realize how far like you can go with just a dual cab ute with a two inch, a good remote res setup. Like yeah. that's it's a nice riding ute that does a lot of work. Like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's interesting definitely. because I think yeah, definitely. people base them on the base tune. Like like when you pick yeah. them up from whatever manufacturer, like say Hilux, yeah. you go and grab it yeah. from Toyota. Well, that's a real compromised suspension system. It's done Absolutely. with budget. It's done. Yeah, once you start getting the good yeah. gear in. It's a game changer. It is. And even, you know, what we you know what we were doing 20 years ago with our twin tube nitro gas stuff, and that was what the whole market was us and, you know, ARB and TJM and Tough Dog and all the guys on there doing the different things, bits and pieces. You know, they, they're a bloody good upgrade. You got you know, bigger pistons, more damp, better damping, more oil volume, less fade, you know, more travel, all those sorts of things. But, you know, you ride around that, and that's what we were working on back in the 90s and 2000s. And then, you go for your first ride and something with, you know, remote resis and drives and stuff like that, and you go, holy, like this is, this is in another league. So, yep, I, I love that stuff. Yep, absolutely. Well, again, I'm saying this a lot. This leads me to my next question because I was going to say, as we're dirt fiends, obviously, but it doesn't have yep. to be dirt related. But as a motorsport guy, and you've been around a lot of different motorsports yep. from drag racing, street yep. cars, for like, yep. if you could do anything. What would you do, mate? What's your what's your passion? Oh, trophy truck, mate, for sure. Trophy truck, mate. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I love dirt bikes too, actually. I must admit, I'm a dirt bike yeah. guy too. I just it's just the dirt stuff that really. Um, mm. I mean, something that we probably don't appreciate is, and I was saying to the guys, we just done rocking nuts, right? So he went down there, and it was great. I saw Randy down there. I haven't seen him in ten years. Like down there with Russ Mason. Couple of the OG guys, and we're like, you know, we've done drag race our cars, we've beaten a bunch of Falcons and Commodores, and had a good time doing it. You know, these these drives these days are high powered, and and um, and I was talking to the guys from from um, Skid Factory, the YouTube channel, and and they were commenting on the amount of four drives around Rocky in Central Queensland yep. per capita, basically, and and the quality of them, the time that's gone into them, the the modification that's gone into them, like it's it's insane, but. We don't realise we're sort of in almost in the heartland of four-wheel drives, like, you know, per capita for Australia and probably around the world, you won't find too many more four-wheel drives, engine swap four-wheel drives um, yeah. and heavily modified four-wheels. Like I was going to say, I think the key is that it's it's the real seriously modified four-wheel drives, not just a five-inch yeah. suspension left. It's, they're, no. they're things like Mason is a prime example of the wheel man <laughs> muscle. Like, <laughs> like there isn't a part on that car that isn't modified. Everyone looks at it and goes, oh, it's a stock GQ. There is not a bit on it that's not modified. No. It's impressive. And, and he, lo- he still loves it. Like we were just talking, we got a bit of a grip chat before the Rocky Nuts thing, then we had a race and um, everyone's sort of on E85 now and he's going, what, what do you mean? How do I get on this? And here he is, the night before, he had five in it playing with tunes out out in the scrub yeah. doing what Russ does and stuff. Dropped up down there and, and just absolutely he, killed it. He's, he he got he got a he got a one point one millimeter drill bit and drilled out his injectors because he worked out that that was the perfect. He's a nut. He's a complete nut. He is, and, and that's yeah. and that and it's just him. It's like it's funny. You even thought like Fats Fab basically invented the the snorkel and airbox. You know the stainless stainless snorkel and airbox. Yeah. 10 or 15 years ago when he started. And he's in Rocky. Um, Swaffy at, at uh, what's he called? Diesel Central yeah, now. Central. Like, yep. I remember back in like, oh, 
I think 06, 07 back in, uh, you know, tinkering around with cars back back then. We had I had a GUU, my mates had a GUU, and everyone was kind of doing the MTQ turbo kit upgrade. Phil Benson was doing, I think he had that in his. Yep. Um, and Benson was tinkering around before he went to the V8. He was tinkering around with those sorts of things and um, talking to Swaffy out there one day, and he's like, oh, man, well, I want to do this this bigger pump and this bigger turbo. You know, we, we want to do these things. And one of my mates has worked at the mines and had unlimited cash. He's like, let's do it. Yep. Let's get this. We got a Garrett turbo and a plasma man watered our inner cooler and Swaffy tinkered with the intake manifold and um, done what I think was the first or one of the very mm. first pumps. And I remember rocking up. He, he rings me at Friday. It's like four o'clock. He rings me. He says, "Hey man, Ryden's car's ready. Come out and grab it. This thing is off its head." We drive out there and we see it come out of Swaffy's place across from the wreckers where it used to be onto the highway, doing fishies. And we're going, what the "Like we pulled up to pick this car up, come back." Russ Mason jumps out of it. That thing is fucking nuts, man. Like that yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, and I think here good. we are. Another guy in Rockies who sort of pioneered that diesel, the TDs, and yeah. then that little tuning. Yeah. Like, because I know every, every, lots of people have 300 horsepower TDs now, but back in the day, like if you got 200, it was amazing. And he was rolling off yep. 300 plus. It was crazy. Yep, it was. And that was like the day, the biggest thing you could do was basically max a pump out. They throw yep. the empty turbo kit on there and you're punching sort of. 170, 180 horsepower. And that was quick yep. in the day. He'd be up cool. the yep. Impress yep. some ladies. And then he'd done this. And then I think he'd done uh, Billy Geddes had the farm truck. I think that was yep. one of the other uh, GQU. That was probably the other, one of the other first. And um, yep. yeah, a couple of those. And then he'd done his own, that uh, GQ style side. Beauty oh, thing chainsaw. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah. That was a bit and of well, you knew Swaff no. was getting super serious about his uh, diesel performance and getting that when he ripped out the when the the first shorty Ute that yellow one he ripped the supercharged yep. LS out of it and put a <laughs> diesel in it and everyone's thinking what the heck are you doing, bud? But and man, that, he made that, that diesel honk, yeah. He did, and that the, the bumblebee that thing was nuts in its the day, bumblebee. like yes, mm. it's like two thousand and seven, I think, or six or whatever it was, and we're going in the first uh, wind change out at Sioni Park, and he rocks that and russ has got this this shorty thing that no one ever knew what the hell it was and he'd, he'd win everything by like 10 minutes mm-hmm. and uh, everything else there was basically just a stock patrol with a standard tray that's been cut down and a six inch lift most of them running our gear and and that was basically the extent of it diff locks and and just a standard like a worn low man or something and then these guys rock up with these things like yeah it, it sounds like nothing now but in, in 06 oh. and 08, this is massive no. That's right. Even Swap had fiberglass guards and fiberglass doors, you know, like that was crazy in the day. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. No, it was so, very cool. Um, yeah, it, it was. And, and we're blessed to be, uh, um, and that's what got me into it. Like, go to yeah. Wins Challenge, around you guys, up at Five Rocks. Um, and that's, you know, that's when my love for it started. And just, just super lucky to be part of the industry as well. So, well, one yep. of the other things that I probably noticed, and, and that's the joys of social media, it, it brings it, brings it to you. But like, you see other people like not to one of the things I think about CQ in particular is when you talk about our modified four wheel drives, they are massive horsepower. Like you see people yeah. they're talking about yeah. like oh down in Brizzy and they're they're frothing over this barra swapped GQ or GU that's got like four hundred yeah. horsepower and you're thinking and is that at the wheels? And then they're like talking about four hundred horsepower at the motor, you're like, Man, that thing can yeah. get like like not to be rude, but it'd get laughed at in central Queensland. Like, you know, but you talk about that, like which, which, which is, is a funny crazy. statement, though, because I was going to say that is a cool car. 
Very yeah, cool and, car. And I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm yeah. not trying to knock it in any way, shape, or no. form. I mean, it's a very yeah. cool car. But uh, Central Queensland in particular with their four-wheel drives, it seems to be like like if some is good, more is better. Like that's, that's oh, how absolutely. we always – like Hoggy with his – like oh, um, Cornick, like, his, like, yeah, Cornick with his. And then you like. Well, I was going to say some old school name, Corey Hell. As Corey well. oh, Corey he was he was he was a OG. He, he was he, a leading like that he thing was. was a, he had cars that were off his nut. I remember seeing his supercharged, um, you know, Stroker six liter thing, <laughs> yes, yeah. and he was picking the kids up from school in it. You know, like he's always <laughs> and then and then it's Duramax. The Duramax you know? huge. Yep, that's oh, right. Man. Yep. Nuts and like you talk about the yeah. old cruiser park days, it's like they're rocking up yep. with these things amongst you know, someone's there with an LS swap, something like this is the best thing mm-hmm. going. And mm-hmm. there's Corey Al and Swaffy and Russ and that rocking up with yeah. these properly yeah. modified, you know, yeah, yep. so and yeah, same at Rocky Nats. We went, we were down there at Rocky Nats, there's about 40 odd cars on the full drive display down there. And like it's mine, mine's just a stock barrage EQ, basically making 350 real horsepower, and it's. She's entry level now, like yep. six, seven. Yep. I built it, it was cool. Now it's just this entry yep. level. Everything yep. is going. Yep. Um, the yep. guys are cool. Well, We'll throw the gauntlet down. If anyone's listening to this and they're from somewhere not other than CQ, come to Rocky Nats. Prove us wrong. Like, like bring us here. But yeah, that there just seems to be something oh, super hey, wild hey, Josh, about right? four drives in Rocky. Yeah. Sorry, I'm, I'm bumping in there, Josh. Don't come to Rocky Nats. Come to King of the Street. <laughs> That's where you got to be. <laughs> We gotta be. This is it. Yep. Um, so yep. tell that that leads us perfectly, Josh. Did you segue that yep. on purpose? No, I right, actually mate? didn't. That's how much of an idiot <laughs> I am. But he's a yeah, seasoned yeah. veteran. That lies. <laughs> <laughs> but no. So King of the Strip. Tell us more about yep. that because it's it's been running now. So it's the second year, isn't it? Or is it the third? No, year? It's the third year. Third year. Third so year. I was gonna say. That's pretty awesome because particularly last year it came on everybody's radar because, it, I mean, yeah. it was banging last year. It was very, very it, good. It was nuts. Um, and we're just, it's just, I mean, like I said, the industry and, and what young fellas are doing now with these forward drives, that's where the market's shifting. So a couple of years ago, I'm thinking to myself, I'd barrel me GQ and having a good time with it and a few more LS swap cars getting around and the Duramaxes and then you go on Facebook and on the forums and everyone's going, oh, my my rig makes this much power, mine makes this much on the mind. Oh, this thing's got to be a 10-second patrol. This thing's got to be this and that. And, and I'm thinking to myself, like, oh, there's a lot, of, a lot of talk around here and surely we can uh, work out a way of getting that, uh, you know, getting taking those mouths and, and making them <laughs> yeah. turn up and see how they go. Because I was just genuinely curious. I'm thinking mm-hmm. I built my – a Falcon weighs 1,850 kilos. I built a GQU, all fiberglass and aluminium and that. If I can get it to 1850, will it run as fast as the Falcon? So I got the two, it's about 2,090 kilos, stock FG Turbo Barra, 350-ish rear wheel horsepower, just injectors in a tune. And yeah, and I was like, I just want to see how does an LS stuck against this? How does a Duramax stuck up against this? How do these Hiluxes or these Ford JJ1 Colorados that they're going mm. on at the moment, how do they stack up against this? How does a TD stuck against it, a 300, 350 horsepower TD? So that was just a genuine curiosity there. And then big credit along come the guys from GSL who built the Frankenmule uh, cruiser that is insane. Yeah, it, it, this Eight one. Seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That one. That's all, and, and, and saw a few videos of that on YouTube. I'm going, oh, man, there's, there is a – it's just a desire for people to let out their competitive, uh, competitive edge. Um, without having to spend huge bucks too because, I mean, the biggest barrier to entry is cost. Basically, you, you want to start doing a class A or 
buggy or truck or something. The Can-Ams are probably good to get into it for that side of things. But uh, for a lot of young fellas, like, you know, you got a house and, you know, you miss yep. some kids and whatever. It's sort of a bit of a barrier entry. You go throw on 20K worth of suspension lockers if you're doing that or winch challenges. you got, you know, a winch, a decent winch to be compared to and batteries and all the gear alone, lockers, roll cages, um, all that sort of gear. Like, you start talking those amounts of things and you, you can be 50 or 100 grand for a purpose-built race truck that you can only drive, you know, a handful of times a year. So I thought with this, all the guys are already modifying their engines, their transmissions and their diffs to, to make them go fast. That's what we want to do. So you don't need any more than that unless you, you know, you really can use a drag car, but basically yep. bring it down as it is, as long as it's, it's you know, basically bring it down and run it. Yep. You don't have to. But, and there are a lot, a lot of daily drivers, like the daily driver cars, a lot of them are just weekend warriors. So they have one of their, their work chili for the week and this is their toy. So it's, you know, we haven't had any touch wood serious breakages yet. I you know a death of the gearbox here and there, but other than that, it's, it's, you're just holding it flat for 400 meters, so it's not sort yeah. of too hard on the gear. So, no, a different gearbox happens every weekend at the Bowwow. So, you know, it is what it is. So <laughs> just part of the game. No, that's awesome, mate. Because I, I do think it's a it's a brilliant concept where everyone can get together and have a great time. Like you said, it's sort of like even because uh, it's all just grudge matches. You just go, hey, Mason, I want to line you up, and you line up together and go for it. Yeah, so, so basically, we've got to split up and uh, there's three classes going through and another class as well. So it's um, petrol limited, which is we kind of went roughly like on what they do on off road. So petrol limited, which is. Um, it's 6.3 litres to allow all the LSs into a class naturally aspirated and up to three and a half turbo, which is basically the same as what you'd run similar to off-road, except this would have capped a six litre. Yeah. Uh, and then we do petrol unlimited, which is basically everything over that turbo or force induction, everything, um, anything over 6.3 litre. And then we just run just a diesel class. Um, we could probably separate them, but it's easier just to sort of leave them all together. And then we do... Um, just a four by two Jeep class, which we done last year, because I wanted to see some of these. You see, there's two wheel drive Hiluxes and Colorados and stuff running ten seconds. I'm like, that's not quite a four B, but it yep. is. It's just as impressive as it is. So I want yeah. to get them. So uh, it fits yeah, into the genre. Yeah, it does, and we sort of split it up like that. We do Chicago shootout, so you know it's not the fastest car wins. Although we do six and a half grand prize money this year, so yep. I get some money. Um, and then the first and second, so Chicago shootout, so dial in your time, run as close to that as you can um, without going over it or under it sort of thing, and then, you know, let the best man win sort of thing. So, No, I love it. I love the concept. Now, also tell us some of the picks. Like you've obviously – what? yeah, yeah, that'll, that'll be my first yeah. question. So who yeah. – like what's the big names you've got turned up that's exciting? Because Jeffrey ah. Charles turned up last year, didn't he? With he his did. super he, Brilliant. He is a massive shout-out to Jeffrey. Supercharged, got his LSA patrol. Um, he brought all the way over from Perth, drove it over. And, and I teed this up so that it was a week before Fink because I sort of thought, he's coming all this way over here. Come over here, you can do a few days at Fraser. You can come and race, then you can go to Fink on the way home. Um, and Sam O'Keefe jumped in with him and, and got a hitch out there to Fink and watch Fink with him. So that thing is, he's just, he's put a heap of time into that. He's doing some um, new engine, new supercharging, new setup. He's got a He's coming over again. Uh, he'll be up the pointy end. Um, I think probably Dwayne Deans. Uh, he's, he's a former winch truck guy. He's got a uh, patrol GUU with uh, it's a one UZ twin turbo. Um, he, apparently he ran uh, like a twelve two last year, but he's just switched to a uh, turbo four hundred auto, so he is in the tens. Um, he'll be up there. I'm hoping to get the pie wagon there, Scott Conley. 
Uh, Duramax, GUU, again, Roland Cole, I think. Is yep. insane. So those guys will definitely be a couple of guys to watch. And then there's just there's lots of just really cool stuff. Um, we had, I don't think he's going to be there this year, but we had the, the rotary um, 13B turbo Sierra that is, it ran That's 11. Nuts. It's it is, and then Quinny that drives that thing is he's off his head. Like he went down there last year, um, blew an axle basically halfway down the strip. It runs like eleven seven. Like in a stock leaf sprung Sierra is is nuts. So straight to the pits, ripped out the axles, put a call over because someone got some. Yep, drove out, got some, threw them in, bang, back in qualifying, sending it down the strip. So <laughs> impressive, and even. Uh, Rob Chapman's coming up, so he's bringing up the Pajero. Um, oh, cool. Very yeah, yeah. Cool. So it is, yeah. He's a good dude, and he's bringing up the Pajero and the Class A Triton to send down there. So awesome. Uh, yeah, yeah. Just, and again, I've seen that Triton in off road race, and I'm like, what the hell? That thing actually is yeah. beside an yeah. LSA Patrol or a Barra Turbo Patrol, and how does that yeah. stack up? Especially, it's got a sequential box and everything in it, so it'll be pretty cool yep. to see it run down a strip. Absolutely, and uh, and then obviously, um, yeah, the guys from GSL are coming. So massive shout out to them for coming. Yeah. If you want to come, I think probably the fastest four drive in Australia. I think it's definitely the fastest cruiser, and probably the fastest cruiser in the world. Yep. Uh, yep. Come down, fourth yeah, of June. Come down to King in the Strip, and it's it's going to be nuts. So uh, yeah, yep. hanging out. To do that. Brilliant. And the other thing is that because I, I wanted to mention, you guys have done a really good job because uh, Hoggy's involved with it, and you, and it's you, isn't it, as yep. well? It also and you do the yep. Facebook videos, and so people that want to yep. look, Josh put a little bit up there for anyone that's watching on YouTube. Obviously, you've seen it if you're listening on yep. the podcast, just with years. There is a YouTube yep. um, channel, Dobinson's Spring and Suspension. It's called. That's the one. Yeah, yeah. So we try and uh, do plenty of filming as well because um, I mean, a lot of guys just want to see this stuff. You, you guys see the clips on, um, you know, of the of the GSL guys and. You just, it's just great to see. So we try and get out there. Um, Dave Casey from SWL, Nick Hogg from Pig Motorsports, and Alan Corning got to give those three guys a huge shout out because they're sort of behind the scenes of this as well. You know, helping to, you know helping guys out building cars, um, helping to get entrance, helping with organisation. Dave Casey's throwing up some prize money for the best skid this year, so we can very cool guys have a big skid. And um, yeah, they've been really good. So yeah, go yep. shout out to them. No, that's an awesome crew, and they're all good blokes that have a lot of experience and and have Definitely. cool cars. So, yeah, no, yeah that's, that's yeah. awesome, brilliant. So, yeah, and yeah. are you racing this year? I'll be racing again. So, yeah, I got the Barry Q. So, it's, it's to give you some insight between a Falcon and a Patrol. So, it ran thirteen uh, five last year. So it's a Patrol five speed as well. So, this is you know four wheel drive got to run to get traction, but. I remember from going back in the drag racing days, um, mates with you know XR6 turbos and, and club sports and those sorts of things, manuals to actually get a good pass. You know, I think they, they tell them at the times about 13 flat, but not many were running close to that 133, 134. Um, so it's pretty impressive to see the difference between you know a Falcon with a Barra Turbo, a Patrol with a Barra Turbo, how that stacks up sort of you know in the real world with different. I run 35s and 3.9 diff gears like I, as it has. Take it off road. That's how it goes down the strip. Oh, absolutely, and even down to like pushing the air that a patrol has as its frontal space versus a, yeah. a Falcon. Like that's a huge thing that people probably don't really realize. Once you get yeah. over that hundred k's an hour, you're you're pushing it. <laughs> yeah. And that's yeah. it. Like fridges, you start pushing those at hundred. You know, some of the guys are doing one hundred and six. Oh, well, I'm doing one hundred and sixty. Guys are doing yep. two hundred k's an hour down the end of the strip. You're pushing a lot of air to get these these big rigs moving. Absolutely, man. When you say it like that, that's holding on to a patrol at 200 Ks, isn't it? 
Like that's oh, wild yeah. ride. Oh yeah, yeah it is. And I think like uh, Quinny and the Sierra, like holding onto that thing at 200k now with a what so, a nut bag. Yeah, I you love it. To, does, does he know a bloke that could maybe build some modified leaf springs for him, help him out? With <laughs> <it>? <laughs> it's it's more entertaining. I'm watching him go down on the stock stuff. I'll tell you. Yeah, coffee. Yeah. yeah, like when he done the axles last year, he replaced them and, and he he damaged the two rear brake line, so he just sort of like folded them over and hammered them shut. And he had like one front left brake, so he's ripped a massive skid off the start line and dabbed the brake and just looped it out right in the start line. <laughs> what a hell, man. I like How that. did the Andrew yeah. officials like that one? Uh, not, not impressed at all. We, we keep <laughs> where we can. Yes, yes. And, I like and it. I've got to give a, I actually got to give a big shout out to Andrew as well. They were brilliant. So, yeah. To, this wasn't like, this didn't just happen. Um, and, and Mike from the Benarabi, uh, from the um, CQ Benarabi, the dragway there. So, Andrew, before I can make this happen, there was um, regulations around the center of crank line height from the ground, which is why most guys couldn't actually race because if you were over sort of 600 mil or, or something like that, you, you couldn't really run under 14 seconds. So that's where a lot of our guys are running with the high-powered rigs. So I sort of got into Andrew and I said, look, you know, I've got a bunch of four drives. I'm going to take them down the strip on a, on a day off, see how they run. A lot of them are running 13s. And I went and measured a whole bunch of crankshaft heights. Um, and I went back with a proposal for a real change. And um, they were really accommodating. Scotty uh, from Android basically said, no worries. Show us your research, show us your numbers. I'll send that down to him. And we've had like, you know, two two events now with, yeah, touch wood, zero errors. Um, everything's running sweet. We do a good amount of street to make sure the rigs are safe. And um, yeah, that's been really good. And then Mike from um, from, the, from the drag club down there, he's he's the president down there and he's been instrumental as well. He's been super accommodating um, and and really puts on a good show for us because, you know, without them, we can't make it happen. And, and I mean, all the money too goes back to them. We don't get a dollar out of it. Obviously, we get the advertising, get the name out there, but every, all the non-money, all the gate money, all the money from the booze at the bar, that all goes back to the drag club to keep them open, keep, keep you know, keep them money to repair the track and, and do that sort of thing. So it's good to be supporting a local, local motorsport club as well. Yeah, brilliant. No, that's awesome, mate. Absolutely. So, so again, for all our listeners and, and for everyone having a, a listen along on YouTube and, and podcasts and all the other places, it is the 4th of June. Is the that's it. That's on it. A Saturday. And on a Saturday. Doing... Uh, yep. you got to be there. So it kicks off at about sort of racing starts around lunchtime, 12, 1 o'clock. We usually kick off. If you if you want to race, come and race. Um, there's yep. not too many restrictions. Um most four drives, you know, bring them down, race. You can nominate on the day if you want to race. It's got to be there by about 10 o'clock so we can get scrutinary and that done. But it is it is a hell of fun, a hell of a lot of fun. And if you've got a modified 4B engine swap, something that's pretty quick, it's it's good. It's good, good fun, Dan. Show, you, show your work off. Show what you, you're capable of building, uh, which is another great part of it too. A lot of local guys um, who are doing the work on these cars, even the uh, Reese from TSA Mechanical, he's a uh, – Diesel specialist guy does a lot of tuning. Um, he's got an Amarok that's running like 13 seconds or something with the, mm. the diesel. So it's a good opportunity for him to show the public, hey, this is what we can do to your Amarok sort of thing. So. Absolutely. Very cool. But if they're not um, available to come for the weekend, mate, the other thing they should do is click like, subscribe, and do all those things on the Dobinson Spring and Suspension yeah. page. So Absolutely. regular updates over the weekend or after the weekend? We usually try and uh, throw out – it takes a little while to get home, cut all the stuff together, um, but we usually try and throw out videos sort of, you know, every day throughout the weeks following on our – pretty pretty well on our Facebook page or our Instagram page, same thing, Dobbs and Spring and Suspension. It's where we throw them up and then onto YouTube and then we'll throw together uh, usually a 30-minute vid, try and get 
all the details and all the uh, the, the, the races there, the, particularly the, the quicker one, so that guys can have a look. I try to get around and do some interviews as well so that for those that are watching at home, I, I can pick a car, I can take Jeffro's car, he can tell me what's done to it, and then we can throw the footage of him racing there and the time so that guys can actually see, okay, this is this is his car, this is what it's uh, modified to, and this is what it's capable of. So it's either yeah, a nice. That'll be brilliant. Absolutely a great thing for people that can't get to the event, eh? For sure, for sure. And just butt in with a quick one then. Is there any specific yeah. safety requirements for the people? Like, say, someone does want to come down, they want to, yeah. you know, they got a bit extra boost in their Colorado or something, like long yeah. sleeve shirt, yeah. long sleeve, long sleeve shirt, helmet. Yeah, make sure your helmet it has the, like, not a motocross one, it's got to have the, like a road registrable one or whatever you call it with the, the yes. approval back. And it's got to be within date, which is like 10 years old or something. So we most of us are from motorbike helmets because they're all, yep. you know, 95% of them are. Road, road legal ones and um, within date and getting yeah, closed shoes and then yeah just make sure your car's mechanically sound no oil leaks and loose bolts and nuts and all that sort of stuff and away we go no tail shaft, shaft loop required uh not really for what you're doing so the quicker guys awesome. no, yep i don't really need it so no it's good to go yep and actually that leads to it's also if they go to your website, Dobbinson Spring and Suspension, you've got a top banner yep. there. And if they click yep. through there, all that information is yep. available there. So all there. And it gives you just a bit of a basics on the, you know, basic requirements and those sorts of things. And you can nominate straight from there or nominate on the day if you want to turn up and race. Brilliant. Well, I won't lie, mate. I'm spewing because I'm working and my dirty Ooh. old ranger. Oh, I desperately wanted to come down and run the extension ladder. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Work Tilly life because she's a proper work Tilly. Yeah. I'd, I'd have to maybe unload the uh, the the electrical tools out of it. That might be a bit <laughs> extra weight, I think. But no, nah, it'd be a good time. So Ben, it's been For an sure. absolute absolute pleasure having you on. Uh, yeah, it was great catching up because again, us locals, I had some idea about your background. Obviously, like I remember the shop back in the day behind yeah, yeah, yeah. Street and a few yeah. things like that. Because I'm a little, I'm a little bit older than these other two. If you're listening yeah, yeah. along, but anyway, <laughs> um, so but I do remember that stuff, and it's great to hear a yeah. local company, but even just an Australian company. We're we're proud Australians, that's for sure of it. Absolutely. And you know, in in an industry uh, and a time where things are getting less and less manufactured in Australia, mate. Congratulations to you and your family for an amazing job well done. And we look forward to another 100 years of uh, family-owned business. Get those kids, get them blacksmithing, yeah. and they'll be ready to go. Yeah. Love yeah, it, guys. Thank you me, guys. Had a great awesome, time. Two years and all the best with the podcast, mate. Love it. Awesome, yeah. mate. Thanks, guys. Catch you later.